Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning, church. Well, since we have last gathered in this space, in this moment, in this time, um, we've, had, we've had war break out upon the earth as Russia invades Ukraine. This church has a kind of Ukrainian connection. I don't know if you know that. You come in here Sunday after Sunday, you join us online Sunday after Sunday, and you see our modern iconostasis up here. These icons, we have others, they kind of change with the season that we're in. Right now what we have is Jesus from his beginning of his public ministry to the culmination. So his baptism, transfiguration, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. These icons come over here by the uh, Transfiguration one since it's Transfiguration Sunday, are created by Ukrainian young iconographer by the name of Ivanka Demchuk. She lives in Lviv, Ukraine. You've never heard of Lviv, Ukraine until this week if you've been paying attention to the news. And so maybe that gives, there's a picture of Ivanka. And uh, as of now, she and her family are well. But you can imagine the stress, the anxiety that they're under. And so I want us to pray about this and pray for Ivanka and her family. She has a husband and a young child. They're friends that are passionate followers of Jesus, creating these modern icons that are such a blessing to us. And I want to pray by praying a couple of psalms. I'm going to pray them all the way through. First, Psalm 58, which is the psalm for today, being the 58th day of the year. But then I also want to go to Psalm 46, because it's apropos. I may, we'll just see what happens. I'm going to pray all the psalm, but I may pray some other stuff too. We'll see. Well, I'll just be honest before I start praying. The first part of this song I'm thinking about a madman who launches a war. Do you indeed decree righteousness, you rulers? Do you judge the peoples with equity? No, you devise evil in your hearts, and your hands deal out violence in the land. The wicked are perverse from the womb. Liars go astray from their birth. They are as venomous as a serpent. They're like the deaf adder which stops its ears, which does not heed the voice of the charmer, no matter how skillful his charming. Oh God, break their teeth in their mouths. Pull the fangs out of the young lines. Oh Lord, Lord, I pray that you would nullify the capacity of evil and violent people to inflict suffering. Let them vanish 
like water that runs off. Let them wither like trodden grass. Let them be like the snail that melts away, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Lord, I pray that this war would turn out to be stillborn. It wouldn't continue to go on. It would come to an end. Before they bear fruit, let them be cut down like a briar. Like thorns and thistles, let them be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they see the vengeance. They will bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. No, Lord, we, we just want to be washed in the blood of Jesus. We pray that, Lord. We pray that, that you would save us through Jesus. And they shall say, surely the reward, there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who rules in the earth. Lord, I do, I do pray for Ivanka, who we have some connection with. And I pray for her family. I pray for her friends. I pray for her church. I pray for the nation of Ukraine. Lord, protect them, guard them, save them, help them. Lord, I pray for young Russian soldiers given no choice in the matter, just sent, just, just sent. And off they go and they're a pawn in the game. Lord, I, I don't know what to pray. I just pray over them. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. Lord, these things are so much bigger than we are. And so, Lord, we cry out to you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be moved. We pray this on behalf of Ukrainian Christians. And though the mountains be toppled into the depths of the sea, though its waters rage and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its tumult, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be overthrown. God shall help her at the break of day. The nations make much ado and the kingdoms are shaken. God has spoken and the earth shall melt away. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come now and look upon the works of the Lord. What awesome things he has done on the earth. It is he who makes wars to cease in all the world. It is he who makes wars to cease in all the world. It is he who makes wars to cease in all the world. Oh Lord, make the wars to cease. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. Be still then and know that I am God. Lord, let a stillness, let a peace come into our soul. Be still then and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen and amen. amen. It's a time in which we need to know how to pray well. You know, I don't know how you live through these days without the strength that only comes from prayer. Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, 7 p.m. in this sanctuary, and then we're in the season of Lent. But leading up to that, I'm doing a prayer school, the 87th one. 
This went online so everybody can participate locally and wherever you are, online. Each night, starts tonight, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, the three days that lead up to Ash Wednesday and Lynn, 8 to 9.30 Central Time. You have to register. You can do that online. Registration is donation of any amount, you know, so it doesn't matter. And uh, we can be together for 90 minutes, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, learning how to pray better. Amen. I hope you can be a part of that. Even if you've been a part of that before, it might be really good, both in the time in which we live and also going into the season of Lent. That might be a very good thing to do, to participate in prayer school. Amen and amen. Transfiguration Sunday. We go now to Luke's account of the transfiguration, which really marks the midway point of Jesus. So we've been looking at all the events from his baptism, right? And the early part of his teaching ministry and he's been healing. And then we come to the transfiguration and then at the transfiguration, things change and Jesus is now moving toward the cross. Luke chapter nine, verse 28. Now about eight days After these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. One of the most remarkable aspects of the transfiguration is the appearance of Moses and Elijah. Jesus takes his disciples up on this high mountain, Mount Tabor traditionally. Well, he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John. He begins to pray, they begin to slumber, but then something happens. Christ is gloriously transfigured. And when they come to their full senses, they realize that not only is Christ in his glory, but there has appeared Moses, who lived 12 centuries earlier, and Elijah, who lived nine centuries earlier. They are with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration talking about his exodus, which he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. I want us to back up into the Old Testament and look at some things pertaining to Moses and Elijah and their own previous experiences on a holy mountain, the mountain of God, I want us to look at these mystics on the mountains. We'll begin with Moses. Moses began a life of privilege and promise. It all went wrong. He ended up out on the backside of the desert working for his father-in-law, tending flocks. He thinks his life is over, that he'd wrecked it earlier in life, and now he's in midlife, and he feels like nothing is going to happen. But unbeknownst to him, while he's been in the desert, the desert has been working on him, stripping away 
stripping away ego and ambition, getting down to the real Moses. One day, he's in the wilderness with his father-in-law Jethro's flock. He doesn't even have his own flock. He's been reduced to a low estate. And he sees a bush and a bush is burning. Maybe that's remarkable. But what is most remarkable is that though the bush is burning, it's not burned up. It doesn't turn to ashes. It stays green, living and verdant. And he says, I must turn aside to see this side, why the bush is burning and not burned up. And as he turns aside and beholds, a voice speaks from the bush and says, Moses, Moses, what are you doing with your shoes on? Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And he has an encounter with God and he learns God's name. I am who I am. Turns out, Moses' life wasn't over. In fact, it had not hardly even begun. In midlife, he's reborn. He's sent back to Egypt, confronts Pharaoh, brings Israel out of their bondage, on their way to the land that flows with milk and honey. But first they go into the wilderness. Turns out they're going to be there a while. Moses first leads Israel back to the place where he'd had his first dramatic encounter with God. To the place of the burning bush at the foot of the holy mountain, Mount Sinai. He takes Israel to the place where he had encountered God. And then we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 24, beginning in verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. This is going to be a mountain sermon, folks. You know I can preach a mountain sermon. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So he'd seen a bush on fire, a bush that was burning but not burned up. It was just that God was in the bush. That launches him into his new life. He becomes a deliverer. He leads Israel out. He brings them back to the place where he had had his transformative experience. And now God comes, not to a bush, but to the mountain. To this 8,000 foot peak of Mount Sinai. And God comes in a cloud and fire. And God is on top of Mount Sinai as a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And Moses now climbs the mountain and enters the consuming fire. And he's there for 40 days and 40 nights, neither eating nor drinking. Well, if if you're in the presence of God, it doesn't matter like that. I mean, you don't need to eat or drink. You're just sustained by God. 
The point is, it's a consuming fire. It's a devouring fire. And Moses goes in, but Moses is not burned up. Moses has become the burning bush. Moses is in the consuming fire of God, but Moses is not burned up. Moses doesn't turn to ashes. Oh, there might be some things that are consumed. Could very well be. You don't need, when, 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 it, when you're told that God is a consuming fire, don't be afraid of that. Say, oh God, please consume all that is consumable in me. The imago Dei, the true you, who you are called to be, that cannot be consumed. It can only be refined and purified. So Moses goes in. This is kind of the ultimate mystical experience. Encountering the divine face to face. In this burning fire for 40 days and 40 nights. That's the beginning of this mystical experience on the holy mountain, Mount Sinai for Moses. I want to go to the end of the experience. In between there's, you know, the Ten Commandments and all of the stuff about the tabernacle and all of that business. Let's go to the end of the story. Exodus 33. Verse... 18, Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. Man, he's, he's been in the fire of God for 40 days and 40 nights. He says, all right, don't hold back. Show me your glory. God, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you the name of the Lord, Yahweh, I am who I am. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So he's been with God in the devouring fire. And at the end of this long mystical experience on the holy mountain, Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, yes, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. The glory of God is his goodness. The glory of God is not his capacity to terrify you. The glory of God is his goodness. He says, ah, okay, I'll make, I'll make, my, I'll make my goodness, you want my glory? I'll make my goodness pass before you and I'll declare my name. I am who I am and I am good. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And we go, well, well, that's good, but I'm a little nervous. Do I qualify? How wide is this mercy? Who gets the mercy? Paul is the great, great Christian theologian. His great work is the book of Romans. The densest and perhaps greatest part of Romans is Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's a dense argument. It's not easy to follow. We truly have the mind of a great intellect at work theologically. It's not always easy to follow his argument through 9, 10, and 11, but you can understand the culmination of his argument when Paul says, God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. God is trapped all in the same predicament so that he can offer them all the same solution. His saving mercy. So he's on the holy mountain. Show me your goodness. Show me your glory. I'll show you my goodness. I'll proclaim my Lord. I will be merciful. Verse 20. But he said, this is God. But God said, you cannot see my face. For no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued. See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory, that is his goodness, passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Well, this is the Old Testament. We see the glory of God. We even see the goodness of God. We don't see the face of God. We'll see God's back. But he does it. Puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and says, I am who I am. And God in his goodness and glory passes by him and then takes away his hand. And Moses sees not his face. Not yet. He only sees the back of God. That's the story of Moses on the mystical mountain. But he wasn't the only one that shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration. There's also Elijah. You know about Elijah. Elijah bursts onto the scene. Elijah the Tishbite. And a dark time for Israel. They're being seduced away into idolatry. And there's these 450 state-sponsored prophets of Baal. And Elijah proposes a showdown on Mount Carmel. A lot of mountains in this sermon. On Mount Carmel. And he begins his challenge with these words. I, even I alone, am left a prophet of Yahweh. I, even I alone. The prophets of Baal are 450. And the prophet of Yahweh, the I am who I am, is one. And I'm the only one. I alone am left. And he challenges them. And the God who answers by fire is God. Baal can't deliver. Yahweh answers by fire, consumes the sacrifice. And then, and then, the 450 prophets of Baal are arrested at the command of Elijah and taken down to the Wadi Kidron at the foot of Mount Carmel where Elijah executes them. 450 prophets of Baal. And then... Elijah suffered some kind of mental, emotional, spiritual collapse. Something broke in him. And he's not well. And he heads off into the wilderness. We'll pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. Verse 4. But Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. 
Something's happened to him. He's had this great victory. He prevailed over the prophets of Baal, then executed them, and then broke down. He goes off into the wilderness, and he finds a solitary, it's a, it's a desert, and there's just one pitiful little tree, a little, little juniper tree, a little broom tree, one just pitiful, gnarled up, just one. Not two or three, not a grove, one. That's a picture of Elijah all alone. And he goes and he lays down under that. He sits down under that tree. He says, God, I just, you answered my prayer yesterday with fire. Now just, I just pray to die. You ever pray to die? Elijah did. I'm ready to die. I'm no better than those that have gone before me. Keep Moses and Elijah in mind because they're connected. They're both in the wilderness. They both feel like it's all over. Moses encounters a bush. It's burning. Elijah encounters a bush. He doesn't see God in it. Be careful about prescribing your spiritual experience to other people. What if Moses said, hey, Elijah, all you got to do, just go out in the wilderness, you'll find a bush, and it'll be, you know, burning, but it won't be burned up, and the, the glory of God will be there, and you'll be all right. And he goes out there, and he finds a bush, and it's just a bush, and nothing's happening. And so he just sits down and prays to die. Verse 5, then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. He's laying down, intending not to get up. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. And he looked. And there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Solitary broom tree, got his prey to die, lays down not intending to get up and an angel. Thank God for the angels, however they come. In whatever form, guys, they come to us. Dear friends, complete strangers, however, an angel comes and touches him. You know, an angel even came to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to strengthen him. He comes to Elijah, curled up in the fetal position underneath the broom tree, praying to die. He touches him. He says, hey, Elijah, you need to eat. And you keep up your strength. I prepared a little meal for you here. Eat it. And he lays down and sleeps again. He's weary. So tired. You ever been just so tired? Just so tired. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. Otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. And then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Angel touches him a second time, says, Elijah, get up now. Come on. You got to eat. You got to drink. Got a little bit of a little, little nourishment from heaven for you. And you need to partake of it because... If you don't, the journey will be too much for you. 
Come on, I've been on some spiritual journeys that were almost too much for me. But the angels helped me. And he goes in the strength of that one nourishment for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, how long was Moses on the mountain? Oh, and how long is Elijah's journey? 40 days and 40 nights. He comes to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb has another name. Do you know what the other name is? Mount Sinai, they're the same mountain. It's like Mount McKinley, Mount Denali, same mountain, two names. Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. He comes to the same mountain that Moses was on. And he goes into a cave. That's, a, that's Moses' cleft of the rock. For Moses, it's a cleft in the rock. For Elijah, it's a cave. But they are experiencing the same thing, but not experiencing it in the same way. God basically, he takes us all on more or less the same journey, but we experience it differently. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? When God asks you a question, he's not seeking information. God knows. If God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know. It's because God is trying to coax you a little deeper into your situation and help you gain some awareness of what's going on. What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Nobody can argue with that. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. So I killed 450 of them with my sword. Oh, how about that? I alone am left. And they are seeking to take my life. Seeking my life to take it away. Second time we've heard him say that. That I alone. What are you doing here, Elijah? I've been zealous. I've been zealous. How zealous? I killed 450 false prophets. That's pretty dang zealous. Zeal, especially in the Old Testament, well, but in the New Testament too, is often connected with religious violence. Jehu was that way. He was zealous and killed a bunch of people. Phineas was zealous and killed people. Elijah's zealous and kills people. Oh, there was a guy named Saul of Tarsus. And he said he was very zealous. And he persecuted the church even unto death. And he arrested both men and women, threw them in prison. That's very zealous. Until one day, bright light, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very zealous and I'm all alone. I've been very zealous and I'm all alone. The Lord said, verse 11, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This is, this is, this is what happened for Moses. Same cave cleft, put, make my goodness pass by. You won't see my face, you'll see my back. I'll make my goodness, my glory go past you. 
So it's going to do the same thing for Elijah, but it's experienced differently. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. That's, that's what Moses experienced. God was in the fire. After that, surely that'll be what it is. After that, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, can you hear sheer silence? Yes, you can. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went and stood at the entrance of the cleft of the rock, the cave. And there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous. And then he goes on and later in the verse says, I alone am left. Why does God keep asking him, why are you here? Because he's trying to get Elijah to understand what Elijah's problem is. His biggest problem is he's all alone. It's his biggest problem, he's all alone. His zeal is, his zeal is real, but it's not the healthiest kind. His zeal has too much anger in it. He's all alone. So God sent him on a mission. This, this encounter ends with God sending him on. He says, well, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back now. We've had this little talk. You and, you and me. I want you to go back and I want you to anoint Hazael as king. I want you to anoint Jehu as a king. We're not talking about that. It doesn't matter. And I want you to anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, as the prophet who will be your successor. But it's going to be 20 years. Elijah isn't leaving the scene immediately. He has a, well, a successor, a protege. yes. What he has at last is a friend. He's got a friend. This is, this is what Elijah never had because he kept saying, I'm all alone. I, I alone am enough. I am alone. I'm, I alone. I'm the only one. And at the end of the conversation, do you know, here's what the Lord says to Elijah. Oh, and by the way, Elijah, I have 7,000 in Israel who've not bowed down to Baal. The problem is you don't know any of them. The problem is you think you're all alone. You're not alone. If you're alone, it's your fault. I have 7,000 who've not bowed down to Baal. One of them's Elisha's son of Shaphat. Get to know him. He'll be good for you. Sometimes we need solitude where we encounter God in the silence. 
We'll be doing some of that at our Linton retreat at Conception Abbey. We'll have seasons of silence, sheer silence. Sometimes we need sheer silence to encounter God. Sometimes we need our friends where we encounter God in friendship. Listen, we encounter God both in holy silence and holy friendship. Turned out, as mighty as Elijah was, he couldn't do it all on his own. He needed Elisha. And remember King David. I mean, when it, when it was a good day, he could kill Goliath. But not every day is a good day. And Goliath has brothers. And one of them was Ishbi Benob. I know you never heard of Ishbi Benob because it's not the story we like to tell. But he had David pinned to the ground and was just about to kill him when Abishai came along and rescued David. So someday you're a giant killer and someday you're about to be killed by a giant. Woe betide us if we don't have any Abishai friends. And there was even a cross that Jesus couldn't carry. And Simon of Cyrene had to help him out. In your desire to serve the Lord in dark and challenging times, beware of the wrong kind of zeal and the wrong kind of solitude. Keep the peace of God in your heart and stick close to your friends. And now, for just a moment or two, now we'll go back to Mount Tabor and the Transfiguration. Now, now that you're a little more well acquainted with these mysterious visitors that appear with Jesus. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Yeah, of course, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. And they find their fulfillment in Christ. We know that. But we can also say something else. We can say these two mystics found what they were looking for on Mount Tabor. Moses' request to see the face of God had been denied on Mount Sinai, but now his request was granted when he saw the face of Jesus on Mount Tabor. Elijah had been sent on a mission to go anoint people. Hazael, Jehu, Elisha. But now Elijah meets the true anointed one, the Christ who saves the world. Amen and amen. Stand up with me. And we shall come to the table of the Lord where we will find food that will give us strength for the journey. Sometimes we feel like the journey that the Lord calls us on is too great for us. The angel comes and touches you right now and says, take and eat, eat and drink. So that the very strength of Christ might come into you. Let's prepare ourselves to eat and drink of this strength from heaven by first confessing our faith and then confessing our sins. Confess with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit 
and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious because his glory is his goodness. God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility, ask for mercy. All you have to do is ask for the mercy of God and it's given. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.